Hey everyone, this is Terry Anderson, and you're on the podcast Digging Through Dominoes. And in this podcast, what we do is dig through the dominoes of our lives, see how those were played for us, and kind of see which ones we need to draw to change the game and have a brighter future. Today, I've got an awesome guest with you that I have known since childhood. This is Sharon. We went to elementary school, junior high school. What what high school did you go to? I ended up going, we moved to Plano. Oh, okay. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, I'm so, so happy to have you here. You know, I knowing you for so long, it's so crazy. And then I flew back to Texas one time and you and I had lunch and we hadn't seen each other in years since we were school kids. Yeah, years. Years. And that says that says a lot. <laughs> Because people that I knew recently, they would, I mean, to have someone that I hadn't seen for so long come to see me, that really, it meant a lot. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But today we're going to talk about Sharon, a little bit about her, and then we're going to lead into some things that are happening with her daughter and the frustration so many of us parents have faced trying to get our kids the help they need and the help they deserve. So Sharon, what do you want to, what's your backstory? <laughs> well, some of it, but it's, I don't know how it's, much of it. It's interesting because knowing each other like we did, we didn't really know each other's private life. I knew only one part of yours. Yeah. And when I was 12, I had lost my father in a very crazy freak car accident. But the thing of it is, is as bad as this sounds, it was a relief. My father was very abusive physically, verbally and mentally. I had seen him knock my mother upside the head and she, you know, fall to the ground. He would chase us in the dark with his gun and lock us out of the house. I spent many a night either sleeping in the car in some bizarre parking lot or we'd go to the drive-in movie. I'd usually fall asleep because when I was 12, you know, I mean, what do you do? This was happening for a long time and that's just how I grew up. Let me ask you something that you kind of brought to mind. Was that your normal? Did you think other kids had different lives? You know, that's that's kind of bizarre because I really didn't know what to think. To be honest, I thought it was normal to live in such chaos that mm -hmm. you were called names. Right. Um, and it's funny because my friends, I, I wasn't really allowed to have friends over when my father was still living. Because my mother was afraid. She didn't know what he was going to do. People just thought I lived in a strict household, which, yes, my mother is strict, but it, that wasn't the reason that they could right. be there. But, I mean, he would throw beer bottles at me. He, she, he pointed a gun at me one time and called me some names at that age. I didn't know what they meant. He put me in a situation where I was sexually molested and then asked yeah. me the next morning, do you know what rape means? And I'm like... No, why, why would I know that, you know, and just yeah. bizarre stuff like that, you know, just it's sad. So I kind of thought everybody's family was chaotic like mine for the most part. You know, that's kind of what mine was chaotic. I didn't know yours was. The only thing that I knew is when and how your dad died. Mm -hmm. And I can remember your face when you're telling me that. But in my household, al drinking alcohol all day long was normal. Mm -hmm. Locking your kids out was normal. Verbal abuse was normal. You know, our parents would probably have, if it was today, 
they wouldn't have us, but that was a different time. Yeah. And I understand, you know, I understand that, but some of it is so much, it's this generational thing mm -hmm. and it's chaos and it changes your brain. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. What you think is you're not worthy. Yes, you do. You do. You think you're And then you go for things yeah. that aren't good enough for you because if there's someone that is good enough or better that they're going to find out you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you deal with that? I, well, I think you did. Yeah. The, the man I married the first time, he was literally my father. He was seven years older than me and come to find out, which you'll, you'll hear when I talk about my daughter. He was an alcoholic. He was a narcissistic. He was controlling. He was verbally, physically, and mentally abusive. Me, I'm a very caring, giving person. If someone was to walk up to me and say, can I have your shirt? I'd probably give it to them right. and not really ask any questions. So I was thinking, all he needs is love. Love will fix everything. Well, no, <laughs> it doesn't. Love's not enough. Mm -mm. We were married seven years. I had my first child with them within a year and a half of being married. And the red flags were already there, unfortunately. And I just thought, no, I just need to work harder. It's me. I'm, I'm the one that's got all the problems. I'm not doing things right. I don't, I'm not skinny enough. I'm not this, that, and blah, blah, blah. Then I had my second child. And I can remember him telling me, I'll pay you $10,000 if you will take that thing you are carrying and leave Sam, which was my firstborn. And I looked at him, I said, there is no amount of money you can give me to do that. It's not happening. So in our fights, because they were physical, he had, and I was pregnant with Michelle, which is my daughter's name. I was probably about 27 weeks along. He pushed me downstairs. Within a few days, I started having some discharge leaks, you know, the whole thing. And I went into labor. My placenta was infected. They were trying to keep me from going in contractions, but my body was trying to discharge the baby. And so I had her. She died. At what, at what term? I was 27 weeks, so I was probably, what, five and a half months. Okay, my grandkids were like 24 and a half and 25 yeah. weeks. And at so that you time, were like, in 1993, yeah. you know, they tell you, we don't know. Well, she died three times before they even got her to Children's Hospital of Orange County, which is known as Chalk, because we were in California at the time. I was having to stay back at the hospital I had her at, and they were shooting me full of antibiotics because I like to die from all that infection inside. You have like sepsis? No, it was just because all that bad stuff in the anomic, and I'm not, well, I can't even say it, but in the fluid, Amniotic yeah, fluid. and the fluid had already gotten into my bloodstream. I was showing signs in my heart and, you know, they were worried about me because I had 105 fever and was bleeding. when I oh So she's over at the children's hospital and I'm just kind of left there. You know, when you're in the maternity ward, you hear people's babies crying and, you know, you're just kind of freaking out. But anyway. Let me put one thing in real quick. How long was she separated from you, her mother? From me? I didn't get to touch her till she was six weeks old. So that's a huge piece. Yeah, there's no bonding. I couldn't. That's a huge, huge piece. Yeah. yeah. They tried to get me to breastfeed, but my body was not able to compensate for what I need so I could, but they nowadays they let you do they let you once right. they get them stable they let you touch they encourage it they didn't back then I didn't get to, to bond with her for six weeks I had already gone back to work I had someone watching my oldest my son and my then husband 
decided to quit his job, which he had a hard time keeping a job to begin with because, you know, well, anyway, we'll we'll get that clue in another minute. So I would have to go to work and I could only see my daughter for like 15 minutes every other day. And that was on my lunchtime in that whole process. So because it would take me 20 minutes to get there and then I could spend like 15 minutes and it would take me, you know, a little bit to get back to work, obviously around 20 minutes. And my boss was nice enough that she would let me kind of slide a little bit on that lunch hour. She asked me one day, can I go with you to visit your daughter? And I'm like, sure, not fine. We went and when she realized I was only spending 15 minutes every other day, she literally just cried. And she says, how are you doing this? I'm like, I don't have a choice. I have to work. There's nothing I can do. You know, she came home three months later. She was born in January. She came home in April. You know, you start the whole process of how the state gets involved and they want to make sure that she's getting the nutrition and all that stuff. Well, this, well, go ahead. All the outsiders, but you already have three months of separation mm-hmm. Where her brain is telling her she's being neglected. She's being a... Her mother is not there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't your fault. It wasn't my fault at all. Okay. So that kind of sets the stage for the rest of her life. Pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, we had a bunch of health problems. She came home on a heart monitor and oxygen. You have to go to the pediatrician, like, every time you turn around. And I dropped my pen just a second. Let me find it. I'm living in California and my mom's in Texas. So that makes it difficult. Yeah, that's hard. And moms are so important. Yeah, they really are. And more than people realize. I didn't have the help because my mother-in-law at the time pretty much told me, I'm not going to deal with this situation that's going on. I was like, okay. Apple doesn't fall from a tree. Yeah. So needless to say, we went through a lot of medical issues. A lot of your child could actually be challenged mentally. Your your child could end up with some major diseases. We don't know what's going on because at that age, their lungs aren't developed. You know, their Mm -hmm. eyes are, their corners are detached. I mean, there's all kinds of issues. And she had Mm -hmm. second degree bleeding on the brain from birth. So right there, now I know that's a TBI injury. They just said, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. You just have to keep an eye on her and see how it goes. Developmentally, she was always behind, of course. You know, walking, crawling, all this other stuff. And um, I thought she had caught up. But as I can look back down the road, I can see certain things that were starting to pop up. We go, we divorce. That was a whole mess in itself, trying to divorce that narcissistic, crazy person. Because he's very manipulative. Very manipulative. Mm -hmm. And we had a business. Uh, Of all things, an alcoholic doesn't need is a bar business. And that's what he had. (laughs) You know, and so by the time I left, I had been tired of being pushed around and beaten on. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. And so we divorced. I went to Texas. I thought, okay, I'm going to try to restart. I went through therapy. I took two years of therapy before I ever left him without him knowing. And we were going through therapy because he tried to to suffocate me, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the normals. And my normal. <laughs> he basically told the therapist he grew up in a leave it to beaver family. And I looked at him and thought, what planet are you from? Come to find out years later, his father was abusive to his mother. So, ta-da! Yeah. 
Yeah. That cycle of abuse that just continues. Yeah. So, you know, he was in California for a year. Then he came here and I was thinking, Oh, he's going to try so hard to manipulate me and try to run things. And I tried really hard. It was, it was a, it was a battle. Because he hated me so much because I left him. That's a narcissist tactic. They hate you so much. They will smear you Mm -hmm. from here to kingdom come. Because he didn't file for divorce. I filed for for divorce. And how dare you do that? Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't have my permission. And and so I, well, you know, sorry, I don't want you no more. He started having to have custody. We had to share custody of the kids. I knew my son was his you know, glory child. Oh my God, he's a boy, you know, because in his family, boys reign, you know, they're everything. I had to force my daughter to go. My son didn't have a problem with it. I had to force her. She came home one day. She had bruises on the back of her legs that were the width of a belt buckle and a belt. And let me tell you, I'm a mama bear through and through. Yeah. I called CPS. I said, look, there's something going on here. They took a look and Michelle wouldn't talk. She just clammed up. I said, baby, why didn't you talk? She goes, no, no, no. So we tried all that. They sent him a letter and they just kind of slapped his hand. So time goes on. And by the time she's almost 10 is about when that happened. And I told their dad, you may get to see Sam, which is my son. I said, but Michelle, you will never see again. You left a mark on that child that you should have never left. And I said, I'm not, you can throw me in court. You can throw me in a dungeon. You're not seeing my child. When she turned 18, she finally told me he had sexually molested her. Not just, not just orally, but full on. Yeah. I looked at her and I just started bawling. And she goes, why are you upset? Why didn't you come to me sooner? He said he would kill you, mama. And I said, baby, no, he wouldn't have. So we tried to put her back in therapy. She wouldn't talk. She wouldn't really talk about it because she would just sit and cry. And I know how that Mm -hmm. feels because I did that in therapy trying to get over my father and what had took place. She finally finished high school and her behavior started really changing for the worst. I couldn't discipline her, couldn't talk to her. She was becoming irrational. She was becoming promiscuous. Mm -hmm. I can look back now and realize that's one of the signs of being bipolar. She couldn't handle her money. Not that she had a lot to handle, but she she would sneak out at night. No matter what I did, she would steal the car keys and go in the car and go somewhere. It was just not the same child that she was before she hit that certain mark. She finished high school. She went to massage school and became a massage, massage therapist. Very good at what she did. She did it for about five or six, seven years. And then she was dating this gentleman. Well, I'm going to be nice and call him a gentleman. I I could see. I'd never met the man, but she had shown me his picture. And I was like, "Mm mm-mm. And Michelle goes, well, why don't you like him? I just love him. I just love him. Well, he was like 12 years older than her, for one thing. And she was like 19 or 20. And I'm like, Shelly, he's too old. And then when she would tell me stuff, I'm like, Shelly, he's just a version of your father. No, he's not. I love him. I love him. I knew I just had to shut up because you know how children are. They're, they're going to do what they want to do at that age and you can't stop. Right. Needless to say, he was abusive to her. Then she got hooked up with this other gentleman. I'm trying to be nice. And he pimped her out. So, yeah. And then something clicked. I don't know 
which trauma situation clicked. But she had broken her wrist and couldn't work at that time. And I don't know what clicked, but she went into what I was told a hypermania. Mm -hmm. She was literally thought she was God, basically. Because I, mm -hmm. her roommate at the time called me and said, you need to come. There's something wrong with Shelly. I said, he goes, I don't know how to handle it. And so I came. She was unclothed on the floor and the police were there with guns on her because they didn't know what was happening. Yeah. You know, and I was freaking out and I was like, oh my God, what's going on? What's going on? Why do you have guns on my kids? You know, and, and the gentleman that happened to be her roommate, they worked together basically, but he said, she just started acting strange and acting like she was God, you know, and started saying all kinds of bizarre stuff. They took her to Green Oaks in Dallas, which is her first visit at a mental institution. And we were signed a psychiatrist, you know, got her own medication and they were doing evaluations. Well, they said she is bipolar one. I'm like, and that means what? That means what? <laughs> you know? And, you know, they said, well, it basically means that her chemicals are not balancing and stuff. So I tried to go through all of her birth history, you know, talking to the psychiatrist. And we got her on meds. As I know now, most people that are bipolar, they don't want to take their meds once they start feeling fairly what we would call normal, whatever normal is, but being able to kind of function. And then she uh, ended up having to live with us, and I was living in Hearst at that time. We went through another bout of another institution because we weren't going to take our meds, and we just had a complete meltdown. Then we get diagnosed with not only bipolar 1, because now she's starting to talk to these people a little more and opening up. Because I'm like, if you don't tell them what's been going on, they can't help you. So she starts talking a little bit more about her personal life. They give her a list of being anxiety. We have the anxiety, the depression, the manic mania stages of bipolar. And we have, well, we didn't get diagnosed with complex PTSD until just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we have all of this going on. Well, we moved to our house in Fort Worth, Crowley area. And we're moving around because of my husband's jobs that he, he does contracts and so we're living there <laughs> she gets another stay in the mental hospital for just wigging out she's just wigging out but this time she's threatening to kill herself so now we've added suicidal harm on top of all of this <clears throat> and believe me the ambulance emt people got to know us on a first name basis when we lived in fort worth they were there so much because I couldn't keep her on her meds or her medicines weren't right. You know, they were, you, you know how they play the game of let's try this, take this away. Let's try this. Let's do this. Too well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately the patient suffers from that because they're not getting what they really need. So this is about the fourth psychiatrist I have dealt with at this time. And we're through JPS, which is John Peter Smith hospital, which is the County hospital because She's no longer working because she keeps getting fired and going to different locations with her job that's under the same branch. But but because she has her meltdowns and she has her little stress because then she would start having seizures because she was so stressed. So 
they were telling us, well, they're not real seizures. No, seizure is a seizure. I don't care whether it's epileptic or if it's caused from stress. It still does the same thing to your body. So, of course, she ended up not working. We tried filing for disability because I was reaching out to social workers at that point. What can I do? Because the hospitals and, and, John, and JPS, they have like a, a holding area that they can put you in for two to three days before they determine if they want to send you to an actual mental behavior hospital. Unfortunately, and Fort Worth is a very large city. Most of their beds are taken by either the homeless that have mental issues, or you have the people that are on the really bad drugs that are having their freakouts that they have. And so it's hard to get a bed in there and they would send her home. I know there was one time she went in there and the doctors took her off everything. And I'm like, what? Why did you take her off everything? That seizure inducing. Yeah. And, and so, you know, of course that made us have to go back again and then they readmit stuff. And then they sent her to therapy through JPS and this is what I think is so stupid, but you only can have eight sessions. Honey, she needs more than eight sessions. <clears throat> We're talking about a lifetime of trauma here. And you only want, I couldn't even, I didn't have more than eight sessions. Was that because it was county funded? Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. How old was she at the time? I'm going to say she was like 24, 25, somewhere in their issues. She made so much good money, Terry. It's unbelievable. She made like 42000 a year at, at, at a young age. No actual right. college education, just, you know, trade school. And that child would blow through that money. It was unbelievable. And that's another sign of the bipolar stuff. They can't handle their money. Mm -hmm. And I would try to help her. And, oh, God, that was another huge fight. And now we're here in beautiful Detroit, Texas. They have no mental health at all. The, the county that we have to go to is in Clarksville. They don't even have a hospital at all. So we have to go to Paris. Now she's on, she's on Red River County Home Core Health Insurance, which is nothing really. Right. Piece right, of paper. Yeah. So of course we have another episode of mania. We had gone eight nights basically without maybe an hour's worth of sleep. And when you're mm -hmm. sleep deprived, your mind goes wacky, wacky. She starts seeing people. She starts hearing voices. She's, you know, and she'd been doing that before having those episodes, but not as bad as this was. We go to the ER. They can't help her. They can't. They can't or wouldn't. Well, I'm trying to be nice. I'm going to say can't, but more than likely they wouldn't because no one's going to take that insurance. And the closest mental institution that you have in our area is a two hour drive from us. It would either be Carroll, Texas, Greenville, Texas, mm -hmm. Atlanta, Texas, which is down there by Texarkana, I think. And I don't remember the other one, but I didn't care. It could have been four hours away. I knew she needed something adjusted. She needed something. And what she needed was something to put her to sleep for a good 24 hours which is what her brain was needing at that point. So we went home. I had her call her psychiatrist. Her psych and they had taken her psychiatrist had taken her off her sleep meds and her antidepressants. And she said, "Okay. I want you to take 300 milligrams of your sleep meds 
just to go to sleep for right now. And that's a lot. That's a heck. She was only. What was the time? Um, Do you remember what it was? Was it like Trazodone? And she was taking 150. And I looked at her and I said, are you sure? That's a lot. That's, That's a, a lot. lot. We took them. That child slept for two days. Two days. And it doesn't really put, trazodone doesn't really put you in a natural mm -hmm. sleep no, state. No, it's not a restful sleep. But it was no. enough to pull her out of that mania that she needed to kind of stable out. Break that cycle. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. Then, of course, she had an appointment with her psychiatrist and they had a talk about it and they've put her on something totally different. She can't do sleep meds. She can't do any depressants right now. You know, they did tack on. <clears throat> Unfortunately, she now has bipolar schizophrenia along with child regression. Um, it's almost like she has split personalities sometimes because you can see her when she changes in those disassociation. Mm -hmm. And I can tell if depends on what's going on at the house on who it flips to, you know, which, which, which personality I want to call it, even though I know she doesn't have split personalities, but this, it's just a disassociation yeah. and yeah. you're avoiding part of yourself mm -hmm. because it's too yes. traumatized. And she'll either go into the eight year old, which is when her trauma started that she can recognize or she'll turn into the thug, which is the Barney behavior, you know, like I can just kick your butt, blah, blah, blah. And she gets vulgar and she gets abusive verbally. And then I think it's just Michelle, but I'm not really sure. You know, she's just kind of calm and she's, you can, you can, you can reason with her. She's got some logic, you know, she, you know, you ask her to do something and she does it or there's no problems. How old is she now? She's 30. She's, she just turned 30 in January. And these are what you're dealing with currently. Yes. And, and the sad part is it took my, my present husband a long time to realize there really is a problem and she's not just a brat, you know, which sometimes mm -hmm. she is a brat, but I mean, that's not actually, she's, she's not being a brat and wanting attention. She's really got a problem. There are things that are uncontrollable. Yeah. And of course I have a younger sister. And I have, I have my mom that's still alive and my stepdad. My mom, because my daughter does smoke weed, you know, who doesn't? Mm -hmm. But it helps. I mean, it really helps her in some ways. It can help people. It, it like yeah. calms her down and helps her sleep. I know that sounds bizarre. I'm not a smoker by no, I'm not a drinker. But if it helps her, mm -hmm. and I realize it's not legal in the state of Texas, so please nobody come down on my head mm -hmm. for this. But if it helps, I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You know, don't be crazy about it. Right. But my mom and sister, because she smokes weed, thinks that she also does crack and heroin and smack and whatever else is out there. But she doesn't. So they think of her as a bad person. And that. So there's the reason. All kinds of stigma going yeah. on. And the reason she behaves like this is because she smokes weed. And I have sent my family, if I've sent them one article on it, I've sent them a thousand articles on it. So my mom and dad were over here Easter and we, I don't know what we were doing, but I could see Michelle was fixing to go into one of those regressions and all of us. Hold on one second. For all of you that aren't 
Texan. Oh, no. Sharon, fixin' do <laughs> is one of my favorite words, and it's means translates to is about yeah. to, but we <laughs> use fixin' Texas. to. Texas yeah, grammar's <laughs> coming out. So I, I love it. My daughter and I thought, oh no, here we go. My mom's going to actually get to witness what I tell her about. Sure enough, she went into the eight year old and she says, Mom, I'm hearing these voices and they're telling me to hurt myself. And I said, Well, Shell, why don't you just go lay down? You play some nice, soft jazz music or play. Uh, Morgan Wallen, she likes to listen to him. And I said, and go lay down, take a nap. She says, okay. So she took her dog, Lassie, and she went in the bedroom, shut the door. My mother looks at me and goes, well, what just happened? So I tried to explain to her. And she goes, well, how, how often does this happen? More often than I care to deal with sometimes. I said, a lot. I deal with this a lot. And you're just seeing a small piece Tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. of what I deal with on a regular basis. I said, and it's not easy. She has detachment issues. I can't go to the bathroom and the child's looking for me. I go to work. I go anywhere. And she's, if she's not with me, she's either texting or calling every five minutes. Where are you at when you're coming home? Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy, but it's, it's, it's hard because I'm to the point of, when we lived in Fort Worth, I tried writing all of the the house reps, the state reps, you know, anybody I could think of. No response. That's not going to help their political nope. career. So when I did it again and I sent a story, well, it was three pages. I would like to call it a novel, but it's not. From the time this child entered this world until now we'll see what happens i don't know if they'll respond but i sent it to social security in austin which is our where everything is for us i sent it to um all of our state and house reps in this area and in dc i think if i could send it to the president i would not that he would read it but you know if it comes to it why not and i have even thought about sending something to the hospital saying i know my daughter cannot be the only individual that has mental issues and you guys need something to help them watch the medication or something i don't know do you think with shelly's the severity of what she's going through right now do you think not permanently but a period of time of involuntary commitment to help her get stable with the right doctor would help her any, or do you think it would be detrimental? You know, I'm not sure. She has opened up. The last person we had at the MHMR in Fort Worth, she actually, that psychiatrist, oh, she was wonderful. She was wonderful. She did help Michelle get through some of her issues. And yet she's not even a therapist, but she would take the time to listen to her, help her work through stuff, you know, what she needs to maybe try to cope, her coping mechanisms and stuff mm -hmm. like that. She helped a bunch for Michelle to get through the some of the father issues, which was mm -hmm. needed. I personally think that, you know, they only hold them for 10 days, which to me, holding you for 10 days and having a group therapy session isn't going to isn't going to make a difference anywhere. No. I 
as much as I would hate to say this, and I know it will never happen unless she gets some form of disability where she has that medic Medicare Medicaid insurance. Could I actually have her go somewhere for like a 30 day stint where they focus therapy? And I'm talking like cognitive type behavioral therapy that's has to do with all the trauma, not so much what she was born with through genetics, but the trauma. Right. The yeah. trauma. And that's basically what I even said in the letters that I sent. Does she need financial help? Yes. But what she really needs is that insurance. That's what she. Right. Right. The magic word insurance. Yeah. And unfortunately I did not fall from a tree that had lots of money in it. So, you know, I'm just like average middle-class American, you know, I don't have a huge bank account mm -hmm. or deep pockets, but I have a child that really needs some assistance. I guess you could call her a child. She's really an adult, but to me, she's still my child. Yeah. Your, your kids are always going to be your kids. And Joshua is my, is my baby boy. He's always going to be my mm -hmm. baby boy. You know, cognitively, he was 13 years old. So has Social Security denied oh, her? Honey, yes. They've denied her. And we even did the go to the attorney. And when he found out she was smoking weed, he, he wouldn't deal with us anymore because weed's not legal. And I said, well, you know, a lot of things aren't legal that people do. That doesn't mean she doesn't deserve the help. It's self-medication. Yeah. It's no different than some guy drinking booze and or somebody... Well, I don't even know how they use that other stuff. But anyway, you know, it's it's not any different. It's not any different than me comforting myself with, with eating. I stress eat. It's no, you know, I mean, that's her thing. I don't know. We've been denied. We've appealed. We've been denied. And so when we moved here, she was talking to somebody. She gets on these chat lines. But anyway, he led us to an organization that could help her. And it looks like, because we got a letter just the other day from... She's using quick aid. And they said it it looks like from security's social security standpoint, she has a severe mental issues enough to qualify her. But they're looking at the physical and I'm like, physically she's fine for the most part, you know. She's got other issues. Which doesn't really help if mentally Yeah. Not it's not like she's was born well, she was born with a brain trauma, does that count? You know, but it's just not like she was born deformed or missing parts or, you know, anything like that. So I don't understand why that would make a difference, but we're waiting on that decision. It's like, you, it, it's, you know, it's like you have to be established and born in to Highland Park, Dallas <laughs> before anyone will take you seriously. And for you listeners or viewers that don't know Highland Park, Dallas, it's a very, very exclusive, very wealthy part of Dallas. And if you don't have the money to grease some hands in yeah, Texas, nope. nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And it's like here, the only reason I was hospitalized, I had insurance. Here, my son tries to get hospitalized. All the times I'm looking at him going in asking they for wouldn't help, do it. he's out in a few mm -hmm. hours. In no better situation than what he was when he stepped in there. Other than and sometimes worse other than the fact that he was out of the bad weather or they actually maybe fed him that's it yeah so let me ask you how are you coping 
with you with this? How are you taking care of yourself through? Not well. I will tell you that. Yeah. Not well. Because I, we, my husband and I still do his business uh, once every 10 days. We still go to Fort Worth. And I worry, you know, what is she going to finally, you know, <laughs> is she going to actually give in to those voices? I am on antidepressants. I'm on 160 milligrams a day of Cymbalta for whatever that's worth. And of course, I'm diabetic, which doesn't help being stressed out because then I tend to eat things I really shouldn't. I think I have numbed everything in my body but love. Do you cry? Yes. And I pray. I cry. I beg. I don't barter. But I do. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I, I quit crying. And it's only rarely that I cry because I'm numb. I'm numb. I don't. If I start crying, it's going to bring everything. up 61 years of everything mm -hmm. else. Yeah. I don't cry. I won't watch movies if they're, if a dog's going to get Oh, hurt. I can't watch those commercials. I just start bawling yeah. and do it. But I know I don't take care of myself, which is important. But at the same time, it's very difficult to do when you're trying to live a normal, whatever normal is, life. You got to pay your bill. got to do well, this. You got to do that. If you don't watch after Michelle. Who is? Mm -hmm. Who is? How's her relationship with her brother? It's funny because <clears throat> the ex actually took him back to California when he was 15. And he had started living with his dad at 13. And at 13, there's nothing you can do. At least in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. I don't know right. about anywhere else. So I tried not to buck it. I thought, I'm not going to be one of those moms that, you know, throw a two-year-old tantrum about it. But when I got a call one day from Sam saying, mom, I don't ever want you to call or talk to me again. And we've moved to California because their great, his, his mother was having some, if she was needing to go into a nursing home. And on the phone, I said, but your dad doesn't have legal custody of you. Don't, don't do anything about it, mom. Don't call, don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he hung up on me. My world was already topsy turvy before all the stuff started happening with my daughter. So I was already fit to be tied and I did not see my son until he was in college I saw him when he was a junior in college and then I went to see him graduate college and then he moved back to Texas in 2019 and I thought oh my god that's going to make everything so much better no it doesn't because he didn't understand about Michelle either and I had tried to, to, to fair warn him about what was going on. And he says, oh, mom, oh, you know, it's not like that. When he actually experienced some of those things before he moved out on his own, he was floored. And they would fight like cats and dogs like they did when they were young. And then now that he's moved out on his own, they have a very tight bond. But I don't think he could handle if something happened to me, he could not handle Michelle living with him because my son has mm -hmm. his own issues dealing with the abuse he got from his father. Mm -hmm. And that's more stress on you wondering mm -hmm. what does Michelle's future look mm -hmm. like and how badly is our country? Oh, 
not only in the state of Oregon, which I thought was atrocious, but my gosh, I thought Texas mm. and it's what you're saying. It's, it's, it's not any better. And it's really sad because I know your son was homeless and it's, it's one thing for your son to be homeless, which I know bad stuff. It doesn't really out there in that mm-hmm. cruel world, mm-hmm. but you think about your daughter being homeless, the worst of the worst images come to your mind. Right. And I just don't know if I could, I would probably be one of those dead people that hang around watching out over my kid. You know, I, you know, I, I wish I had known before Joshua turned 18, you know, a lot of his things hadn't manifested at that time, but to get him on developmental disability at that before, he turned 18 and I didn't because a lot of these didn't manifest until he was older, but that would have given him a chance of being placed somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing that helped tied me to Oregon was Joshua. How can I leave Oregon knowing my son is on a street? Mm-hmm. Didn't do it. That was one of the first thoughts I had when I found he died is I can leave the state now which I haven't, but I'd like to, but my gosh, I just, so the system is failing everywhere. Yes. And, and it's not just destroying mm-mm. Michelle. It's destroying millions of people. <laughs> yeah. And your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you do reach out for help, they look at you like you're crazy. I can't help you. I don't know what to tell you. No one's going to listen. It won't help that you write the board of the medical directors. No one cares. But I bet if my last name was Trump or Bush or any of those, they would listen to me because I would have money. And all I would have to do is buy a wing of a hospital somewhere and and there wouldn't be a problem. My child could get all the help they needed. But I don't have that. You know, one of the problems I have here in Oregon, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying, that I, that's how I feel as well, is they want to address addiction and homelessness, okay? In my situation and a lot of the people that I've known, addiction and homelessness has a root cause. The common root cause is mm-hmm. mental health issues. But they want to give people with mental health issues autonomy mm-hmm. or it's too hard for them to take on and they want to address these other issues okay you're going to get somebody off of in oregon where everything is legal meth uh they have this thing called trank now which is uh horse tranquilizers Mm -hmm. in the fentanyl and it's it's kind of like making people zombies it's horrible it's absolutely horrible these people are self-medicating and another thing they they just made narcan which is like an opiate overdose medication where they stab yes it's over the counter. So my thought is, okay, so all the drug dealers are going to be buying that. They're going to have it. They're going to over, you know, OD their um, clients just to make it. Right. To sale. get that little. Nothing makes sense. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is Michelle capable of helping in her own defense? To I mean, and in, in, I guess in advocating for you know i'm not really sure because she bounces around so much in her personalities i don't know i mean i have been trying and i did join the advocate group of nami which is 
I wrote this down, the National <clears throat> Alliance on Mental Health. And I think their, their main location mm -hmm. is DC, um, but I'm trying mm -hmm. to get into a chapter that's closer here. I don't know what I'd have to do. I mean, I don't know if you march on the steps of DC, like that they would listen or, or I mean, you got to make a stink somewhere because the greasy will gets the grease. At some point, yeah. I I just go back to to why why do you have to put her in a full freaking body cast to say hey my kid's got a problem I don't know and I don't know I I have been so tired so and I have beat my head up against the wall and I do remember telling this attorney that we had I said I tell you what sir you let her stay with you for a full thirty days and then come back and tell me she cannot get approved for any kind of assistance. And he looked at me and laughed and said, this ain't funny. <laughs> you see all this gray hair? It's not because I'm 60. It's because I've lived through hell and back. And when I leave my daughter at home alone, I have to do a mental inventory of, you know, what is it that I've left in the house that she could possibly do damage to herself with? I mean, this is a child that has taken a razor that you shave your legs with and has torn it apart and tried to cut her veins open. She's OD'd on her medication twice and had to go and have her stomach pumped. And people don't think it's serious. Mm -hmm. That that shows me this is a kid that is in... Very torment. miserable. Very. And she tells me that all the time. I'm a miserable mother. I just want to die. I don't want to live here anymore. And what do you say to your child? I don't want you. The government's not going to. I'm. Yeah. You have no hope to offer her. Except yeah. You love her. You have no hope because you can't get the, uh -uh. what you need to help her. And as a mom, we're supposed to be the ones mm -hmm. that do this. And I think this is the worst part of parenting. When you have a child mm -hmm. that's mentally ill, you come against bureaucrats and career politicians yeah. And people that you think might help, and then they turn around and you realize, oh, they're ladder mm -hmm. climbing. They're just, they don't yeah, care about they don't us. Care. They don't care. And the only thing that I tell my daughter is, but who's going to take care of me when I'm old? I need you here. I need you to help me when I get where I can't take care of myself. That's the only thing I know to say. And that I love you. To keep her, yeah. to keep her here. Yeah. And see, and then I have the guilt of, I couldn't protect my daughter when she needed me the most. I couldn't protect her. So I carried. Right. And yes, I've been through therapy on that too, but you still have that little piece of you that goes, my God, if I'd have known, I'd, be, I'd have been I'd in jail because I would have solved that problem. Right. But, you know, and even a therapist said it wasn't your fault. And I said, you may think that. But I tell that to the 20. Yeah, I wasn't there me. to protect her. You know, I couldn't do my job and that's what I was supposed to do. And I couldn't protect her when she was inside of me because her dad pushed me down the stairs. You know, it's so strange that you say that because when I was pregnant with my first daughter, that happened to me. I was kicked in the stomach. I was kicked in the head. He tried to pimp me out. He would send me to, we, we lived in Reno, so he would send me to the pepper mill. Don't come home yeah. without money. I sat there and drank Coke because I wasn't going to do anything else. Go home knowing full well what was going to happen to me. Didn't know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. When I found out I was pregnant, 
I left, which is really pretty sad if you think about it in a way. I wasn't worth enough to be out of that situation, but I made sure my daughter was worth enough mm -hmm. to get out of it. Yeah. I look back on so many things and I've even had a conversation with my mom. Why didn't you put me in therapy after dad died? Because, you know, it took me, it, was it took me again. six years of grieving to move past that with everything that took place. And it was like, what did you leave? I, told I understand because I had a hard time leaving too, because it was money. I didn't have access mm -hmm. to our money. So yeah, I get it. I so clearly remember you telling me very casually what happened to your dad. Yeah. I didn't know what to well, say. Well, no, most people at that age don't because they've not. What's 12 year old supposed to say? I mean, it's, it's like, oh my gosh, now, you know, being 60 years old, it would be, I would have the ability to say something to let whoever is suffering know that I care, even though I don't understand what mm -hmm. you're going through. But at 12 years old, I mean, I still think about you telling me that. I mean, I can see your face so clearly, but I did not know what was going on yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah. How did you feel about his death? I mean, initially as a child, I mean, was your initial reaction relief or was your re initial reaction? Oh my God. I've I was very daddy. upset. I was a daddy's girl. Even he called me uh -huh. names and made fun of me because I was pudgy. I've been pudgy all my life. Of course, they call it something else now, but right. he, you know, he would say things to me that were hurtful, but I loved him. He was my daddy. And yeah. when he died, I was crushed. And then it was like my mom showed no emotion and I'm sure she was just relieved. And I understand that now. I get it. But she showed no emotion. Uh -huh. And of course, my sister was only 18 months old at the time. So yes, we're 10 years apart. It was a oops, I think. Mm -hmm. um, she, I don't think she knew how to feel. She couldn't no, show okay. joy. Does that, you know? Right. I mean, take a little happy day. <laughs> no more reasons. But, and, and then she had us. And so I'm sure she was more concerned about how to handle us once we have done the whole burial process, which right. I what she was going to do, how she was going to survive, how she was going to bring you guys mm -hmm. up. So I'm sure she was concerned about that. Now, was your death's dad an accident or do you think it was well, purpose? I really don't know. I was told, we were told it was an accident. My mom had told him after 13, 13 years of marriage, she wanted a divorce. And he didn't take that well. He went and pulled all the money out of the bank. And I'm sure he got drunk. Picked up a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Spent the night in jail. Went to his hometown, which is Marshall, Texas, which is East Texas. Mm -hmm. And he was on his way to his brother's house because he was mad about something. I don't know. When you're on 59, going from Marshall to Elisionsfields, which is a little bitty podunk town, there is a road that spins off of 59 that has houses. It, well, there's like three, three houses because it's all rural, mm -hmm. he decided to go that way. And when he did, his tire hit the curb, and I'm sure he was going at, you know, 50, 55, what, you know, not slow. He had one of those Ford trucks that was two-tone, and he had put the really tall mirrors on it, you know, that was real popular back in those days, mirrors. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and when he hit that curve, the truck flipped, 
and he was decapitated. So mm -hmm. part of me wonders, because he wasn't drunk when he died. He was sober. I guess they do all that weird stuff they do, the blood work. And all. Right. They said he was sober, but they said it had to be just a freak accident. In my mind, for the longest time, I thought maybe he did commit suicide because he hated us. And that was his only way to escape. So I dealt with a lot of abandonment issues. Like kids do. Yes. And um, for the longest time, I really thought he just killed himself because it was easier to kill yourself than to go on and try to struggle through life like most of us do and try to make the best of it and try to be the best person we are. After I went through quite a bit of therapy, I realized it probably was a freak accident, if you want to call it that. But I really think that a death wish is what well it that, but like. I really think it was God's way of relieving us from that type of life. Yeah. Because I really think he yeah. knew because my dad would not do therapy from what my mom said. And he thought, you know, nothing was ever his fault, which we all know how that works. I really think it was yeah. God's way of we intervening did. to make sure that my sister and I survived. And, and whatever our purpose is in life, that's what we were going to be able to do. How are you Actually, she's good. I mean, she's had two right. battles of cancer, one with breast and one with rectal. She lost mm -hmm. her second husband to cancer, which was her daughter's father. My niece is now 18. But I think my sister deals with things differently than I do because she did not know our father. I mean, right. at 18 months, how much she remembers what beer he drank. And she can vaguely remember him watching wrestling and she likes wrestling, but to know and experience what I did, she doesn't. Her issues are abandonment and she cannot be in the house by herself. She has to have someone she, right. or, you know, either it's dating someone or, or whatever. She cannot be alone. And so, yeah, she has a hard time with that. And I know that, you can still be scarred and not physically experience the stuff that I did. Yeah. And then there's also the things that can happen before you're verbal and before you retain solid yeah. memories. You've got those somatic mm -hmm. memories. Yeah. So who knows in the womb what she experienced with all the argument and abuse physically that took, took place, you know? Right. Wow. So, yeah. And she's been asking me a lot of questions and I've been trying to help her fill, fill in that's some, hard. that's hard. It's to very hard. And I've broke down a few times, you know, and she asked me one day, was I planned? And I said, no, my mom didn't, she'd given up on having another child. I said, because how can you make love to someone that treats you so horribly that I'm afraid more than likely what happened was a forced situation. And then she started crying mm -hmm. and I said, I feel bad that I've said that, but you wanted to know. And that's what I think, mm -hmm. you know, cause you can't go to mom and ask these questions cause she just shuts up and she gets mad. You know, she won't talk right. about it. She's, she's still bitter herself. and she's 80 years old. She's very bitter about it. She doesn't like right. us asking questions or talking about that side of the family, which we don't really know very well because we were not brought up with him. I try to help her as much as I can. And I see her going through some of the stuff I went through at 50 where you're angry. It's like all of a sudden something hits you and you're yeah. just 
ticked off, you know, and I'm like, Gwen, you've got to let some of that go. Go talk to someone. I mean, it helps. It does. It does. But sometimes you have to know what you're talking about or have an inkling. You know, it took me years and years and years before I would even consider speaking about my childhood with my therapist. Yeah. Every time I would, I would cry and I couldn't get anything out. It hurts so bad. Yeah. It hurts so bad. And even with my ex, the stuff that he put me through, I had a very hard time. And then a therapist tell me, if you talk about it, write about it, you know, journal, because it makes a big difference Mm -hmm. because you're getting it out. You're getting it out. And I finally was able to talk about it and deal with it. And, you know, I just had to learn to forgive myself and forgive them. It it wasn't my fault. No, And I tell my daughter that it's not your fault. It's not. No. And I get her to journal and that seems to help. Um, She does talk about it a little bit more now, which is sometimes hard for me to hear some of the stuff her father did to her uh, because it just, Mm -hmm. just angers me. I just want to go rip his head off and stomp on his face. (laughs) But I have to let her talk. I have to let her get it out. You know? Right. And be her Mm -hmm. safe person. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard too. (laughs) It is. It's very, very, very hard. So what's your next step with her? Do you have an app? I mean, hooking up with NAMI. NAMI. I've written the letters to everybody, but uh, the president and God, I think we're going to see because I'm not going to stop. I will. They deny her. I'm going to be right back in their face. Right. I just got to keep fighting. I don't care who it's with. If it's social security, if it's, you know, the hospitals or whatever. I'll find something. I'll find a way to get something that she needs. Thing is, you have to, with these people, a lot of times, but I found out, you know, you've said so many things mm-hmm. that I've done that I've said. And one of the, well, I'll circle back to that, but one of the things you have to find someone that is willing to see her mm-hmm. as a human. And now you said something earlier about when you told the doctor, you take take her with home with mm-hmm. you. I would tell doctors that mm-hmm. would you take mm-hmm. him home? Let him yep. stay with you down the hall from your wife and daughters. Mm-hmm. They just walked mm-hmm. out of the room. Cause I don't want to deal with it. No. And I, I know when we were in the Paris CR with this, I asked that lady, do you have children? Yes, ma'am. Do any of them have mental illness? No, ma'am. But my sister's daughter was, and she died a couple of years ago. But the way she said it was like, Hey, Oh my God, then you really don't understand. Because even if it was my niece or my nephew, I would still feel so much compassion. I would have not have said it to someone like it was just, they were a piece of bologna on some bread or something, you know, just. I don't think they want to see because there are so many, so many people that have mental illness, some worse than others. Woman that I, her yeah her podcast is her episode is aired she said nobody wins the trauma yeah. olympics you know it's it's all relative it's still trauma it's still trauma and how we can deal with it and and it's it's infuriating that mm-hmm. no one cares what they care about is making yeah. electric cars yeah our that are just going to going to the electric car um 
graveyard in Alaska. And what's funny about that in the state of Texas, we are not on the big grid. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you want to demand everybody to have electric cars. You can't even keep us power on in the worst storms we have, you know. Isn't that crazy? Why are you worried about that when you should be worrying about something else? Mm. Like humans that might be able to fix something if you would help them help themselves and help the moms. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, it's okay. It's okay. In, in kind of a wrapping up, what do you, what is your advice to other moms dealing with what you're dealing with? About the only thing I can really say is find your support group, which I have to say I haven't done yet, but that's why I'm trying to get in NAMI and try to find um, a chapter that's close enough for us to go. I think they go, they meet like every one Tuesday, the second week of the month or something like that. And I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I'm a I'm a very reserved person. I'm a loner, mm-hmm. and I, for some reason, mm-hmm. I must think that I can just solve all the world's problems on my own, which is not a healthy way to look at things. But I really think find support groups, right. and you you need to know that you're not out there by yourself. Sometimes you feel like, am I the only one right. going through this, and nobody just doesn't care? But no, you're not. You're not by yourself. It's just those people that are going through it are probably just like me. They're reserved and they don't know what to do. And that's the biggest thing. Where do I go? Where do I start? Who do I start with first? Mm -hmm. I have to say that I started with getting her therapy as much as I could, reading, researching, getting as much knowledge as I could on this topic to try to understand what's going on with her just try to find as much as you can do give her a journal make her journal try to get her to talk about it get it out of her system because that will help you heal to on certain things the unfortunately right. you're just born with some of that and you just have to hope you have the right medication but on trauma the childhood trauma right. that she went through if she can journal and get it out that's going to help right art therapy yeah, art mm-hmm. therapy and journaling. Because I have gotten and... her all kinds of those um, coloring things for adults where you just sit and color. And I've tried to get her to right. do craft. She's not a crafty individual, so she didn't take that after me. But I tried to keep her focused on not dwelling on it. Because when you tend to, I see her isolate herself and I'm like, you cannot do that. You, you have to not think about it all the time. That just makes it worse. Because then you start spiraling down a rabbit hole and then you can't get out right wow well oh you're welcome thank you thank you so much and i really hope that you can keep me i know you'll keep me in the loop Mm -hmm. of what's happening and if you have a breakthrough let me know and come on here and for my viewers and listeners if you have any suggestions for sharon and her daughter anywhere to turn please put it in the comments let us know if you can have thought of something that we have skipped over it's very much needed not only for the but for anybody us, else that's listening for everyone that's listening because mm-hmm. we're not alone and you know one of the things saskia in my last episode said was it's going to take a grassroots movement mm-hmm. of moms we're going to have to stand together, kind of like, oh, I don't know, was when Michael Jackson did that We Are the World song. 
recorder and you see where yeah. everybody's holding hands and they're all around. You're all, we're going to have to do that. Yeah. We're going to have to quit the divisive, divisiveness and realize we're dealing with human beings. Yeah, we're not, not numbers. Styles. Yeah. No, we're not. Yeah. We're not. Well, well thank you so much for spending your afternoon with me. It was a great thing. It. If I can help anybody, I, I am always here. I, I don't have a problem if someone needs guidance on what little I have experienced. You know, I think that's where a lot of us are. We're, we, I'll get phone calls and I'm like, well, what I have to tell you, you're not going to really yeah. like, but you're yeah. not alone. And that makes the biggest difference. I was alone with Joshua. You are alone with Michelle. These other parents, you guys, you're not alone. You have parents dealing, you have parents and kids doing, dealing with the very yeah. same thing yes. that you're dealing with. Yes. Definitely. So, and if I always tell people I have big shoulders and large ears to listen with. That's right. That's right. Thank well, you. thank you so much. Let's just keep in touch and plan on doing this again when you when you've got something you want to talk about and or you have a breakthrough or I sure whatever. will. And I thank you for this. This has been it really is. It makes me feel good. Oh good. It, it does me too because it it's like someone is I'm listening to you and I'm hearing mm -hmm. my story. Yeah. And it makes me feel bad for you, but it also makes me feel good for us because we're not alone and we're talking about it and we're not keep, keeping right. it hidden Definitely. anymore. It needs and we're just going to get louder and louder. They'll have to listen to us. Louder and louder mm -hmm. and louder and louder. Yes. <laughs> hey, if we you're can both do that. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're loud and proud. <laughs> oh, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I will All talk right. to Have you All right. Have a good soon. day. Bye. You too, Sharon. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. And a huge thanks to my friend, Sharon. There has to be an answer. I don't know what it is, but there has to be. And maybe we do. Maybe we do have to get all together and loud and, and make a big fuss. I mean, about something that's extremely important. Mental health, mental health illness, mental wellness, trauma childhood trauma, adverse childhood experiences, things that were normal when I was a child, or I should say accepted when I was a child. So I want to thank you guys for hanging in there and please drop any comments, anything, any help you have for anyone that may need it, drop it in the comments. And I want to thank you again. Once again, this is D Terry Anderson, Digging Through Dominoes, and I'm signing off for this episode. You guys have a freaking wonderful week.